Gibbs, founder of Incandescent Public Relations, publisher of Being Incandescent Business Magazine, and you are host for the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, the voice of entrepreneurs. Hello, and welcome to the Incandescent Health and Wellness Magazine radio show, TV show, laughter yoga show with Slash Coleman, who is an amazing Richmonder. You're from Richmond? I am, born and raised in Richmond. Awesome, awesome. I met Slash when I looked at uh, meetups recently, and I saw laughter yoga. I'm like, what is that? And I, he, his reputation preceded him. A friend of mine had told me about him months ago, so I checked it out. I was intrigued. And so here we are today, post laughter yoga class on Friday evening, July 12th. 2019 here talking to Slash about this amazing program that you created a year and a half ago. Uh, before we get into our Q&A, I'm just going to read a little bit about you. Slash Komen has a master in education and is a certified laughter yoga leader. He's best known as the author of the Bohemian Love Diaries and is the founder of the RVA Laugh Club, a weekly laughter club dedicated to creating healthier and happier lives in Virginia and hopefully everywhere else. Uh, since 2017, he's provided laughter yoga programs at Ask Childhood Cancer Foundation, Parham Doctors Hospital, Richmond, Virginia Medical Center, and dozens of elementary schools and YMCAs, which is so awesome. And the, the list will continue to grow as we've discussed. So tell us, what is laughter yoga? So laughter yoga is this, it's kind of a relatively new form of mindfulness in terms of um, the whole scene of mindfulness. It came on the scene in 1995. There's only been one book written about it, um, which Dr. Madangataria, the founder of Laughter Yoga, wrote, and it was just published here in the United States this past year. So not a lot is really known about it, even though when he started in 1995, the first Laughter Club, they met to tell jokes, and he soon found that to get the sustained health benefits of laughter, you had to laugh for more than 10 minutes, and jokes just don't do it. And I know for me, when I'm watching like a, my favorite comedian on TV or even a comedy at a movie theater, um, I might think it's the funniest thing in the world, but I might not even laugh out loud. And so to get 10 minutes, like it's he created these laughter clubs where we don't depend on comedy or jokes or humor to do that laughing. And um, the laughter club I started a year and a half ago is part of a network of about 8,000 um, laughter clubs worldwide, free social laughter clubs, where people get to, together and meet and laugh um, using the principles of laughter yoga, which is uh, laughter games and deep yoga breathing. And it's a part of a network of thousands in thousands of, thousands of countries now. There's 18,000 alone in, uh, in India. Um, so that's kind of the gist of, of what laughter yoga is. And it's really complex, but so simple, I think, as you've described it. So tell us your journey into laughter yoga, and then we'll unpack kind of what this is. So four years ago, I was on my national book tour, and my right lung mysteriously collapsed. And I went to the hospital for a month, and after three surgeries, when I was being released, the doctor said that laughter would help my lung to heal. And over the course of the next year, um, I became really isolated. Felt like to have the, I had like a flu for a year. When you have the flu, you just don't feel like being around people. And so it took a good year, and I wasn't completely healed to want to even be social again. Um, I watched TV a lot and ate a lot, and just felt kind of really gross not wanting to be around people. But when I did want to be around people, I Googled laughter in Richmond, ended up in a really expensive improv comedy class that I hated because it felt like a comedy competition. You had to say the funniest thing. I thought it was gonna be like that show on TV, Whose Line Is It Anyway, where you just like, you're naturally funny and everyone laughs and you do great, but like, 
it, it didn't feel that way at all. It gave me anxiety to try to come up with things so quick when I wasn't feeling good about myself. And it also felt like a performance um, as well, which I wasn't really into doing at the time. Um, so I dropped out of class, lost my money, Googled laughter enrichment again, and there was this really odd thing called laughter yoga. I had always done yoga, so I figured I'll go try this laughter yoga thing. It was being taught at a church by a counselor, and um, I went to the first session, there were about 12 of us there, and uh, I fell in love with it. There was an intimacy that was um, that I felt in the room with the other people. I guess what I was really feeling was feeling really vulnerable around laughing with strangers, and it kind of you know, I, I didn't know what was going on at the time. All I knew was it made me feel good. It made my, my lung feel good. It expanded my lungs, like the doctor said, and I felt connected to people. And so I just wanted to keep coming back. And so I, um, I went back uh, for about six times. She offered it really sporadically. Then she said she was not gonna offer it anymore. She was going back to counseling full time. She said, if I wanted more of it, I need to get trained myself. And so I got trained and I didn't really wanna start my own laughter club. Um, actually, this is kind of a tangential thing. I got trained to, I knew my, I knew the importance of service work. I feel like service work, when we volunteer for others, it gets us out of our, our own selves and it goes out into the world as prayer and blessings kind of come back to us. And so um, my mom volunteers as a tutor for adults who can't read. And so I got trained for that. At the same time, I got tra trained for laughter yoga. I was like, ah, the laughter yoga stuff. That's I don't know. I don't think I'll do anything with it. So I got my first assignment after four months of getting trained. I got had to do some observational work with the adults who couldn't read. I got my first assignment. I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> I thought that's what God, I was like, God, I know this feels right. This is the kind of volunteer work you want me to do. And I was falling asleep. I said, I can't do this. I don't know how my mom does it. And that's when I felt God say to me, like, I really want you to move in this direction of like being in service to like others through laughter. And so um, being an artist, I didn't know how long I'd be interested in it if I started it. So I committed for a full year. I found a place to rent for a full year and um, committed to showing up every Friday um, and providing laughter yoga sessions. And it, since it was an experiment, it didn't matter if one person showed up or a hundred people showed up. I wasn't, the value for me wasn't connected to how many, the, those quantified and qualified things we tend to associate with success. And from the beginning, a lot of people showed up. And so during that full year, um, I worked at least in my weekly classes with 500 people. During the week, um, at least two to three times a week, people would ask me to provide laughter yoga. And I worked with 8,000 people outside those weekly classes. And so my experiment was based on a couple different principles. One, I wouldn't use my reputation to, to draw people in and to attract people. Because if I do a reading as an entertainer or perform, I can usually fill like a space with 500, 600 people. I wanted people to find laughter yoga like I found it, just naturally drawn to it, um, the doctor's work. Um, and I wanted to like promote the doctor's work selflessly so it wasn't about me. And uh, I would provide it for free and I would say yes to anyone who asked for it. So that's kind of like how I kind of got, I guess, turned on to this thing called laughter yoga. So let's back up a little bit. Tell us about your background, your book, what you were doing before your lung collapsed. Yeah, so um, I feel like when people ask what I do, I say I'm an author, and so that's my main thing. I've always been writing. And um, for about 10 years previous to my lung collapse and finding laughter yoga, 
um, I uh, was touring internationally as a professional storyteller and performing my stories all over the world really and making my living that way and that's what took me up to New York where I met my literary agent and then my book was released up there and um, I had a couple of shows that ran off Broadway and um, uh, and so it was really all about stories but it was interesting because um, you know, I, I have a very interesting background. Um, I come from a family of immigrants. My grandfather was a dancer at the Moulin Rouge. There are eight artists in my family. Um, but then also the darker components of my family are my mom's a Holocaust survivor and my father suffers from alcoholism and there are 11 addicts in my family. And so there's always been this kind of creative light in my family right beside that real, those real dark parts. Um, and so much of my writing, my storytelling, was kind of exploring humor in the dark places. And so I had a best friend who died in 2006. Um, he was a neon artist from Roanoke, Virginia. And after he died, I ended up writing a story about our friendship. And it was actually eight stories and then four songs I played on my guitar and I brought in a director and, and launched it as a solo performance. And um, that became my job for almost eight years, telling that one story, and so it became a. It aired nationally on um, PBS. What was it, what was for, it called? It was called The Neon Man and Me, mm-hmm. um, and so it it aired nationally for about. Well, actually, friends still call me from all places in the United States. They're like, "You're on TV. It's three in the morning, and you look really young," because uh, it was like you know ten years ago. I also created a school curriculum with The Neon Man called Healing Communities, where. Um, and that was taught to about 50,000 students nationally, where I would go into schools and they, I would help them tell their own stories about overcoming tragedy. They would perform these stories on stage and then we would sell tickets to the event and then we'd keep all the tickets, ticket sales. And so with the Neon Man and me, I raised a quarter of a million dollars with it and then gave all the money away. And so, for instance, if a school was used to selling candy bars and then keeping the money that way, I would come and do the show, they would sell tickets to the show and they would just keep all the, the sales. And so I performed the show 1,400 times and the, the zenith of it, it kind of, it became the PBS special, it sold out a couple off-Broadway shows and at the end of the nine years, um, it just felt like it was time to move on to something else as an artist. And in between those places, you know, the, a lot of the stories from that and a lot of stories I was telling on stage became the book, The Bohemian Love Diaries. And so that was the book I was on tour with when my lung collapsed. And it's very interesting from like a spiritual aspect, the lungs are about grief mm-hmm. related to childhood. And here I was like, okay, I'm going to write this memoir about my childhood. It's going to go out to the world on a really large level. And... I'm completely done. And you know, God has other plans like, well, if you really want to let go of your that grief related to your childhood, it's not going to be as easy as you think. You're going to have to really like want it bad to let go of it. So, it, you know, it's interesting that at the tail end of that, you know, finishing the book and getting ready to tour, the lung collapses. Absolutely so, fascinating. Yeah, I think they're connected in definitely in some way. Yeah, and when you speak of God, do you speak of it in a spiritual way more than a religious way? Um, Were they intertwined for you? You know, I think it's hard to say. So um, in terms of God being more religious or spiritual, besides this year, um, for the last three years, um, I've read the Koran, the Torah, and the Bible side by side throughout the year. So one year I, I read all three, and the next year I read all three. And so it's interesting because when I was doing the Neon Man, I mean, 1,400 times, you know, the first year I did it, 
it's like I'm trying to figure out, memorize these lines. And then by the ninth year, I'm doing it. It's almost like I believe the things I was seeing on stage. The first year I read the Bible, the Torah, and the Quran, it's like I'm struggling. What does this mean? By the third year, it's like these magical things come together. And so I think that's a little bit, to me, that's, it's my own definition of religion, but it's a little bit different than spirituality. I say that because my spirituality feels a little bit deeper and more religious mm-hmm. in, in yeah. that respect. So Yeah, and that's what Incandescent Health and Wellness Magazine, my real mission of it is to just explore all these different ideas yeah. with the idea that of self-love, right? You spoke yeah. about that in class tonight in one of the exercises you hug yourself because yeah. we don't love ourselves enough. I love that exercise yeah. um, because it's that's the theme, right? Especially right now, there's so much chaos. I mean, there's always been so much chaos, but yeah. it just feels like people are really like stretched and pulled and in conflict. And so yeah. the opportunity to laugh, in fact, three of the people that we interviewed, you know, they all sort of had that same reason for being here, yeah. suffering from depression and anxiety and having the courage to really step out and show up because I, re- I know I, this is my second class. The first one, I was like, all right, I think I can do this for one more minute. I may I may not make it two minutes, yeah. but and then yeah. you make it through the whole thing. And you know, as yeah. a Kundalini yoga teacher, they teach you to like, you can keep just do one more, <laughs> come back or from 100 one more time, you know, or something yeah. like that. And that idea that you can keep going, you know, yeah. and so that to me is one of the powerful things about this laughing for five minutes and what yeah. makes you laugh. And it's not funny. It's. So how do you define laughter now? So it's interesting. I had the opportunity to uh, go to India to visit with Dr. Gataria. He called me up at the end of my year-long experiment and said, hey, I want to give you this prestigious award called the Laughter Ambassador Award. And I said, well, I didn't really do this for any kind of award, but thank you. Um, he goes, well, can you come out here and receive it? I was like, well... I wasn't really ever planning on going to India, um, but yeah. And he said, "Well, how could I help you?" And I said, "Well, you know, I work with 8,500 people in a year. If you help me train, have the ability to train other teachers, then it would allow um, us in Richmond to work with possibly if there were five people or maybe 50,000 people in a year." And he said, "Consider it done." So I went out there and, and spent about 15 days with him, and he trained me to train teachers. Um, but he, the one thing that he really kind of explained to me was that. Um, we live in a, a culture now that we're um, just so ready to put on the boxing gloves and react and get angry. And for any, like I think about what people, uh, postal workers must deal with, you know, they're in, there's a huge line and someone's yelling at them and they're just ready to put on the boxing gloves and be like, if you don't like it, just go somewhere else. Um, and so Dr. Gattari had us do this very interesting thing where we had to laugh with strangers for 30 days straight. And you would just go up to a stranger and we'd have to film it and put it on the WhatsApp. Everyone that he was involved with was on the WhatsApp doing that um, one minute for one minute of laughter for world peace. And um, you go up to a stranger and say, hey, I know I don't know you, but would you mind laughing with me for a minute? And they're like, some of them think it's kind of strange, but no one has ever said no. And they will laugh with me even when I'm filming it. And so we ha- he's, he's had thousands of people all over the world do that. And what I realized in when he was saying that was that you know, on the flip side of that with what he's doing and how we define laughter and what laughter means to me now, People may, it's true, people may be really quick to want to put on the box clothes, but if given the opportunity, they'll laugh even quicker. But most people don't know that they have that option at all. And so it's it's this close, you know, anger or laughter. And so it's really helped me see that um, to, to define laughter in a, 
in a completely new way because especially for me when people when I've tried other um, types of um, I guess mindfulness there always seems to be that vibe of like some kind of religious component that is a turnoff but like in laughter yoga we don't care where you came from what happened to you what your race is your gender how old you are it's it's really world peace through laughter like we just come together and we laugh and we feel changed in some way through the sharing of this oxygen intake it's really interesting and i we, we were talking a little bit about before that um some people bring their little kids who are super introverted and they just hide under the chairs yeah and i think that whole introvert extrovert thing like this is sort of a i mean if you're super introverted i don't think you would step foot in a laughter yoga right. but you might do it at a distance you know, just practice. Because these exercises, as uh, hopefully people will learn from the video, they're, you know, you're, they're not forced laughter. I mean, they're kind of like, you encourage us and it's funny and then yeah. you, you bounce off of each other. But I, I want to go back to your point of kind of like that pivot between like being pissed off and laughing, yeah. right? And how close they are, right? And it's a choice. And so I was telling you, I, I'm going to do the positive psychology program at Claremont yeah. Graduate University because I'm fascinated by that. Can we as human beings choose to be positive, right? Because we're sort of trained not to be. And and it's part of the culture to figure out what's wrong quite often, especially if you're sort of genetically disposed to being anxious. You know, lots of Jews I know are anxious or other cultural things, you know, what's wrong is all, as opposed to just being trained from childhood, what's right. Right. So that's the research I'm curious about, and I hope we can stay in touch as you evolve in this, yeah. which brings me to my next question. So you've been doing this for a year and a half. What's next? What's next? Um, so when I first started, so, so let me backtrack. In India, any day of the week, you can take multiple, you can find a laughter yoga session multiple times. Even in one town, there might be six sessions offered during the day, every day of the week, and thousands of people um, participate. It's just very different there. That's that's why you know there's eighteen thousand laughter clubs in India, and there's like eight thousand in the United States. Just a very big disparity on how they the Indian culture kind of accepts laughter, and, and plus like the doctor is really big over there. Um, it was my goal when I started to have laughter yoga every day of the week here in Richmond, and the month that I ended, um, I had gotten I think one, two, three, four five sessions started in Richmond. They weren't all well attended, but it really helped me see that um, that bigger and more, at least for where I'm at in my journey, it isn't the way. Um, I keep telling people I want to be the next smallest thing, not the next biggest thing. And so where, whereas the doctor got a, he just got a petition passed on to the Olympic Committee to have one minute of world peace of laughter done at the next Olympics in Tokyo. And so he's trying to go big, and I'm, I really see value in um, more smaller, intimate mm-hmm. settings where we can increase the value and connection, and that can like really make more of a lasting effect when we go out with those feelings. Um, and so, but this is, I say that only because I've been on the other side. I've performed on stages with 5,000, 10,000 people, 1,000 people a lot, and so I've had that experience. and it's definitely feeds the ego in some way and it, it bring it it I, I realize that it changes a session to do it um, in the past year I've done sessions with 200 400 500 people and it it changes it in a major way it definitely feeds the ego in a way because it that qualified quantified number 
makes us feel successful. But do we reach people as effectively? Um, that's my question. I'm not sure. I know where I'm drawn to now is working with smaller groups, and I can feel myself um, being more present when I'm with smaller groups. I tend to check out in on a larger stage, and I'm not wanting that in my life anymore. So I'm looking to work with smaller groups. Um, one of the groups that I'm looking to work with, I, I launched a pilot program for veterans at the Veterans Hospital this past year, and through the process, I just realized the hospital setting isn't a place where people want to do anything, much less like do laughter yoga. Ideal in the ideal world, yeah, laughter yoga belongs there. Um, and so we're relaunching it in September um, for calling it tentatively um, Laughter Yoga Warriors. And it's going to be open to all first responders and their families. So military, veterans, their families, their friends, policemen, firemen, EMTs, ambulance drivers, all those. And we're, we're looking to take it into their venues where they're comfortable. So doing it at the police station, doing it at town hall, doing it at the fire station, where they can feel comfortable doing those type of those type of events. So I'm really looking to get really niche with smaller groups and to kind of combine communities. And so in the past year, the the way that you become a member of RV Laugh Club is you come to one of the sessions and then you're a member for life. There are no dues, there are no fees, you're just a member for life. And so I'm looking to take those members and take them with me as I go work with the veterans or I go into hospitals and and I go into senior centers. And so those are some of the areas where I'm looking, looking at veterans, senior centers, um, and hospitals to really just where the work and the laughter can be of a great, to me, a, a greater value to me. Oh, wow, sense, so. that's brilliant. I love that because you're, you're layering it. Hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, and the idea that you would bring those families together to laugh because there's a lot of tragedy yeah. they deal with all the time. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I can't hmm. wait to hear, yeah. you know, in a year and a half from now <laughs> what, yeah. uh, where you are with it. And um, I'm excited to check out Laughter Yoga in Los Angeles, where okay. I'll be headed. Oh, yeah. And just keep in touch with you. You are fall cover story for Incandescent Health and awesome. Wellness Magazine in 2019. And just we'll just keep the conversation going and make sure that everyone knows how to get in touch with you so that you can share the, okay. the laughter. That sounds good. So thank you for being with us tonight, listening to Slash Coleman talk about how he brought laughter yoga to Richmond, Virginia, and how he's going to expand it wherever he chooses. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, founder of Incandescent TV and the Incandescent Group. This is Incandescent Health and Wellness Magazine, and we look forward to talking to you again really soon. Now go laugh. So that's it for today's Incandescent Entrepreneur Show, where we always ask, what's your story? If you have a good one and would like to be interviewed on the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show, send me an email to hope at hopegibbs.com. Check back every Monday at noon for a new episode of the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, www.incandescentradio.com. We look forward to talking to you next week. Here's to your incredible, indelible success.